This evening we're gonna we're coming to the end of part one of David's life. I haven't decided yet uh, if we're gonna continue in the life of David after we get done with part one, which will be next week, or if we are going to take a break on Sunday evenings. I haven't decided yet, but next week will be sort of the the final part of David's life prior to becoming king. Uh, so his life can very clearly, David's life can be easily split into two parts. Everything that happens before he becomes king and everything that happens after he becomes king. And we've, we're getting to the end of Saul, right? Saul's going to die probably the next, well not probably, in the next chapter after this particular set of scriptures that we're going to read tonight. David's, uh, Saul's going to die and David, it takes a little bit for David to become king after that, but eventually, of course, David becomes king. So we're, we're coming to the end and I don't know if you want to keep going with David, let me know. If you'd rather take a break and do something else, let me know. But to sort of recap where we are here, David's on the run, right? He spares Saul in 1 Samuel 24, which we read. And then last, no, it wasn't last week. However many weeks ago that was, uh, we talked about his run-in with Nabal, uh, Nabal and Abigail, one of my favorite stories in 1 Samuel 25. Uh, we're, we haven't read this, but I don't want, I'm not going to read it. 1 Samuel 26, he has another encounter with Saul and sneaks into his camp and can kill him again and steals his spear, doesn't kill him, and has this conversation with Saul again. And if you conclude in 1 Samuel 26 at the end, it sort of seems like, things are, are fine. Saul's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was such a mean person. And oh, you can come back, David. Oh, don't worry about it. And, you know, that may just be Saul being trying to trick David. But the text doesn't really give any indication of that. So it's kind of weird as we think about David's life here. He's been a nomad for quite some time. And I would suspect if you're thinking about a study of the Psalms, which we will be, not all the Psalms, but we will be talking about a lot of the Psalms on Wednesdays uh, in our next uh, Wednesday night class on Lament, because he writes a lot of the Psalms during this time. He's running around in the wilderness. He doesn't ever really have a home. He's going from place to place to place. And a lot of the Psalms are expressions of grief, weariness, and worry. Like, I just read the Psalms, a third of them. A third of the Psalms are David basically complaining or crying out or, or lamenting about his situation in life? Not all of them were written at this time, but many of them were. He's, he's kind of at the end of his rope, I think. He's, at, he's beginning to wear on David. And so when we, we end 1 Samuel 26, Saul's like, oh yeah, come back, everything's great. But then we read 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish. And you can kind of see how this is. He's, he's, he's out of energy. He's out of mental energy, he's out of spiritual energy, maybe out of re like physical energy. He's just, he's done. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. I shall escape out of his hand. He's very depressed, very at the, the, his low point here. So David arose and went over. He had 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. Now, you may hear the word Gath. Who else was from Gath? Do you remember who else was from Gath? Wasn't that Goliath? The, begin, the sort of the main beginning point of David's sort of public, uh, um, not ministry, I don't know why I said ministry, his fame, let's say his fame, the beginning of David's fame in Israel was killing Goliath of Gath. Because Goliath, of course, is a Philistine, Right? Uh, and, and I would say this, that David has probably killed more Philistines than any other people. He may have killed more Philistines than anybody who's ever lived, really. Think about just the sheer volume of his victories. And what are they saying? We're going to reference this again. But 
Remember the song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands? Well, a lot of those tens of thousands were Philistines. And yet here he is, he's so depressed that it's better that I just go to them. Number one, I don't know why he doesn't think they're just going to kill him, right? I mean, that's what I would think, but he seems to think that it's better. I'm so, he's so tired of running from Saul, I'm just going to go to my mortal enemies, the people I've killed so many of. And that's what he does. Now, this part of David's life, the next three chapters, demonstrates what happens when we let weariness and despair come between us and God. Essentially, what happens when we give up? What happens when we allow our depression to govern our lives? And so David begins, I've got acting out here in quotes. You know, this is sort of how they talk about it in therapy, right? Your, your, your depression is making you act out, or maybe people are sad and they act out. David's acting out is sort of horrible, but he does. 1 Samuel 27, verse 7 the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, and those who were inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. They're going all over the place. Verse 11, and David would leave, leave neither man nor woman alive. He's going and he's killing everybody. Now, of course, we remember they kind of were supposed to do that anyway, right? They were supposed to do that when they came into the land of Canaan and they didn't. So really he's just doing something maybe that they were supposed to do all along. But what is he doing? He's leaving neither man or woman alive to bring news to Gath. That is, he's got to cover his tracks, thinking lest they should tell us about this and say, so David is done. Why? Because presumably the Gerzites and the Amalekites and the Geshurites were allies with the Philistines. The, the, remember, the Israelites are the invaders here. The Israelites show up in Canaan start murdering a bunch of people. Murder is, this, this is from their perspective, right? From the Philistines' perspective. The Israelites show up in Canaan, start murdering everybody. And so everybody sort of has to band together. All the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Gerzites and the Can all the Canaanite people are, are sort of having to band together against the Israelites who have invaded Canaan. And so David starts raiding these people and he has to hide it because, of course, the Philistines are not going to like what he's doing. Uh, such was his custom all the while he was in the country of the Philistines, and Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! That David is now in such a position that the king or the, the leader of the Philistines thinks he's basically David's his lapdog. Right? That's that's sort of what Achish thinks. David is such a, he's he, the people of Israel hate him so much. Here he is doing my will, and yet he's still sort of sneaking around, and he's worried about Achish. He's worried about, why should David be worried about what the king of the Philistines thinks? The answer is he shouldn't. He shouldn't care. Philistines are not God's people. Philistines don't care about God. Philistines are not his leaders. And yet he is so worried about what the Philistines will think that he's, he's doing all sorts of despicable stuff. Now, you think, okay, this is pretty bad, but things can get even worse. And they do get even worse from this point. 1 Samuel 29, verses 4 and 5, the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines, uh, angry with Achish, let's be clear. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send David back that he may return to the place which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle. So the Philistines are about to go to battle for some people and they don't want David to come along. Lest in battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is, this not, is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. The Philistines know what's up. The Philistines are like, hey, we can't have David here. He's killed so many of us and he might kill us again. 
And so what happens? Verse 7. So go, and so Akish goes to David and he says, So go back now, go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Akish, But what have I done? Oh, David, what has he done? He's been murdering their allies for the last, what is that, year and four months? Whatever that is, 16. He's been murdering the Philistines' allies for the last 16 months. Oh, but what have I done? David, oh, David. What have you found in my servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Why is David calling Akish his lord? He shouldn't be, right? What is David doing? He's basically submitted himself to a foreign enemy, a foreign power. Why? Because this is what happens when David's weariness and despair overcomes his trust in the Lord. That's what happens. Instead of trusting in God, now he's trusting in this Philistine king, trusting in this Philistine king to the point that he feels offended when the king doesn't trust him, which, to be clear, Achish is absolutely right not to trust him. The lords of the Philistines, they're absolutely right not to trust David because of the songs they were just singing, right? And so we think about what David's doing here. What David should have been doing this whole time is exactly what the lords of the Philistines were worried about. That's what David should have been doing, was killing the enemies of Israel. And it, of course, we think about this. Is it surprising the Philistines who reject David? Of course not. And, and really, the more general question for us is, we think about times in our lives when we're depressed and worried and despair. We have, and, and I understand that we'll run low on energy, the, the, not just physical energy, but spiritual, emotional energy when we're in such dire straits for prolonged periods of time, it just becomes too much, doesn't it? And what happens? Well, instead of turning to God, we turn to other things. Could be other people, could be other institutions, could be other habits, habits that God doesn't like. That's what David's doing right here. He's doing stuff God probably would not approve of. That's what we do when we run low on spiritual and mental energy. And what should we expect when we seek refuge from those who don't know God or situations outside of God's control? Or not control, outside of God's desire. Let's put it that way. What should we expect? We should expect that that doesn't go well. Right? We should expect that when we seek refuge away from God that things will not go well, because it's not God. And of course, David should have expected that. Now you think again, things are pretty bad for David here. He's at his low point. He's been rejected by Saul. He's at his wit's end. He leaves, and he basically defects. And now even the Philistines don't want anything to do with him. And you think, oh man, how can it get any worse? Oh, but it does. 1 Samuel 30. And when David and his men came to Ziklag, this is where they're living, they found it burned with fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Might this have been the occasion when he wrote Psalm 6, Psalm 6, which we referenced this morning, when he says, I've been weeping all night, I've soaked my couch with tears. What does he say here? They raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep because their wives and, and sons and daughters have been taken captive. David's two, all, two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. Remember Michael, his first wife, Saul gave Michael to another person when David was out on the run. So Michael's no longer in the picture. 
And David was greatly distressed, for the people have spoke of stoning him. Now he's not being rejected by the Philistines. He's being rejected by his own company that he's been with for 16 months, well, longer than 16 months, roaming around the wilderness. And now they're ready to kill him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Why? Because David. Let's be very clear about this. All of this is David's fault. Right? All of this is David's fault. Now, you may think, well, it's not David's fault. It's the people who captured his people's fault. Well, that's true, I guess, in a certain way. But again, I really want to emphasize, David should not be living in Ziklag. He should not be living in the Philistine land. David should be living in Israel. David should be living with God's people. This has happened because David has decided, I don't know, decided. David has stopped trusting in God and has turned to someone else for refuge. That's why this is happening. And so now he's hated by his own people, and here's where we see, finally, 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 we see the turnaround. What does David do? Verse 6, the second half, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, remember, what did he just, he just got done calling Achish his Lord, Right? Uh, I, from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. He's, he was treating Achish as the, sort of his patron, his, his lord, his ruler. But now he's remembered. Now he's realized, okay, Achish has rejected me. So he strengthens himself in the Lord his God. He's gone back to Yahweh. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. He should have done that at the beginning. Saul says to him in the end of chapter 26, don't worry, David, I forgive you. Come back, all is forgiven. This is what David should have done then. Call Abiathar, bring the ephod, ask the Lord, hey, is Saul on the up and up about this? And what's the Lord going to do? The Lord's either going to say yes or no, one way or the other, but then David will know. And the Lord's going to say either, yeah, Saul, Saul has really forgiven you. He doesn't want to kill you anymore. You can go back. Or God's going to say, no, stay away. Go over here instead. Either way, he could have asked. Either way, he should have asked. Instead of letting despair overwhelm him. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Finally, David does what has led him to the most success. He returns to seeking the Lord's wisdom. This is what happens, right? Every time David tried to go it alone, couple of times, right? And we just read it in 1 Samuel 25 with Nabal and Abigail. Nabal uh, insults David, and David gets so riled up and so angry that he's about to kill Nabal, and it takes Abigail stepping in to say, hey, don't do this. Every time David tries to go it alone without God, he fails, time after time after time. And yet one of the things that is so striking about David, in the two times that he could have killed Saul, right? Two times he could have killed Saul. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. That's his, his go-to line here. And so we see, and here's the encouragement, the thing that I really want to sort of emphasize in this for us. We understand that struggles, and we talked about it in our sermon this morning, suffering wears us down, doesn't it? It eats at us. And it burdens us. And it wearies us. And I'm not even wandering around the wilderness. I can't imagine how, David, how tired David must have been. He's literally walking all day, all the time, guys. Even so, 
David could have trusted in the Lord. And his decision to trust someone else, in this case, Akish, the king of Gath, has led him to this point. Now that he has returned, finally, what happens? Verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 17. So David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped. There's a whole interesting story in chapter 30. We're not going to read some serendipitous things that happened there. Obviously God helping him. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought it all back. And of course he did. Of course he did, because he finally asked the Lord for help. And the Lord said, yeah, I'll help you go do that. You're going to win. Could have done that from the beginning. And again, you, you think to yourself, why why not just do this when, again, why not just do this at the beginning of chapter 27? Saul says, I forgive you. Please come back. I should was being an idiot. And David could have just said, hey, God, is this, what should I do here? And yet he didn't. So as we think about dealing with despair, even though God was with David, was David's life always easy? And of course, the answer is no. Even in the times when David was trusting in God, his life wasn't easy. And again, we think about for us, does God promise to make our lives always easy? If somebody told you the answer to this is yes, they were either lying to you or they were sorely mistaken. God has not promised to make our lives always easy. Again, we, uh, Jim referenced it again in the, the Lord's Supper. Jesus' life wasn't always easy. How long did David persevere before giving up? And you might think, well, he persevered a long time. But not long enough. The answer to the question is not long enough. No matter how long he persevered, there came a breaking point when he forsook God, went to God's enemies, went to the enemies of Israel. And the question again, how long does God expect us to endure? Well, what are the passages? He who endures to the end shall be saved. If we endure, is the statement that we read this morning in class, we consider in James, right, we consider those blessed who endured. And of course, James in James chapter 5 is referencing the prophets, referencing Job, who underwent such horrible things in their lives. And Job, again, Job was lamenting and complaining and yet still did not abandon God, did not abandon his belief that God was right. He just didn't understand how God was right. He believed that God was right. Think about the prophets. We consider those blessed who endured. The question, how long does God expect us to endure? The answer is until we die. And thanks be to God that Jesus was able to do that. Where did David turn once his despair overcame his faith? Well, he turned to the Philistines. You're not going to turn to the Philistines because the Philistines are all gone. But of course the question is still apt, right? Where do we turn? Where are we tempted to go? When our despair at our suffering threatens to overwhelm our faith, we turn away from God, where, where do we go? Well, you might go to old relationships. Old relationships that you had before you were a Christian that you know are not great, you know are going to lead you down the wrong path, but you go back to them anyway. You might go to some other source of worldview guidance, like maybe you're going to devote yourself to politics, or maybe you're going to devote yourself to, to some sort of activism. Again, not bad things, but not the, should not be the central focus of your life. Maybe you go to some bad habit, 
could be the pleasures of the flesh, and that could be what? That could be sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever you want to put in there, right? You want to numb your pain with some other thing. These places that we're tempted to go, maybe it's somewhere that tells you what you want to hear. What does Paul say to Timothy? They will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's a temptation for us, right? We're suffering. Things are going horribly wrong. We're in despair and and depressed. And and how long do I endure? And so I know God has told me these things. I don't like what God's told me. So I'm going to go somewhere that tells me what I want to hear because it makes me feel better about my situation. We're tempted to go to all these places. And again, we ask, how did that work out for David? Well, it almost worked out disastrously. Fortunately, David turned it around in time. But it could have worked out really badly if he hadn't. How will it work out for us when we let our despair turn us from God to other sources of comfort and refuge? And the answer is not great. Now, hopefully, like David, we are confronted with opportunities all the time. And maybe this is happening to you right now. That you're seeking refuge in some other place other than God. Life still happens, and there's still wake-up calls, opportunities to turn back to God. Hopefully that continues to happen in your life. David had a couple instances where he could have turned it back to God, and unfortunately he did in one of those instances. I don't know what's going on in your life, but as long as you're still alive, you still have instances, still have opportunities, still have things that happen that can turn you back to God if you will ultimately return to trusting him. Isn't that what happened to David? He finally returned to trusting God to listening to what God had to say. Romans 8, 31 through 35. And, and we're going to emphasize something a little different in these passages, in these verses. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who brings a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? And we read this, and it's great, and it's wonderful. And yet I would suggest to you that David embodied a lot of this. Now, obviously not the stuff about Christ, but David was God's elect. David was chosen by God. David was anointed. God promised David all sorts of things. David underwent tribulation, distress, persecution. I don't know if he was ever naked. David underwent a lot of this stuff. And even though he was a man after God's own heart, he still let them overcome him. The temptation is still there. We read this verse. This verse does not guarantee that you will remain in God's good graces. We keep reading. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, I would say to you, this is absolutely true. But there's an important way to think about this that is illuminated in David's life. Did God ever stop loving David? Of course not. But if David stopped trusting God and just became a Philistine, do you think David would have been blessed? If he just stayed with the Philistines for the rest of his life? you think he becomes king of Israel? 
No, of course not. Here's the question. Who was the only one to ever separate God and David? David. The answer is David. We put this up here. There's only one person in the entire universe that can separate you from God, and that is you. He's not going to do it. Nobody here can do it. People can persecute, and we read the passages we read this morning. Blessed are you when people persecute you and speak evil against you on my account, right? Nobody else can do that. But you can walk away. Just like David walked away. Went to the wrong place. Fortunately, and again, this is the emphasis of the story. Fortunately, David returned in time. He didn't die while he was wandering away, and he didn't remain away from God. But God will not stop you from walking away. He will keep putting things in your life that calls you back to him. He'll put people and circumstances and situations in your life that will call you back to himself. But ultimately, only you can decide to return. And I pray that we will. If you're tempted and struggling with this tonight, you're going through a difficult circumstance and you're tempted to turn away from God, you're tempted to go to somewhere else, please let us know. Because one of the things that God has put in our lives to call us back to him is each other, right? The church. We are here to help keep you from wandering away from God. And we will do that, but only if we know that you need that help, right? Only if we know the struggle that you're going through. So we think about the struggles of life. If you're doing, if you're undergoing some horrible thing that is causing you to think about leaving God or leaving the church or leaving the, the, the faith that you have, please let us know before it's too late. Because as long as we're alive, there's still time to come back.